0: Peace and peace to you friends, welcome to The Oak Tree Journeys. My name is Mandy Oakes, and this is the Encyclopedia Challenge. What is the Encyclopedia Challenge, you may ask? Well, that is a great question. The Encyclopedia Challenge is where I read the entire encyclopedia to you in bite-sized chunks. And we read from the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909, and sometimes from the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Um, I apologize for yesterday and for not posting on Sunday. Um, I just was not feeling well um, at all. And my voice kept going in and out and in and out, and it was just unreliable. Um, But thank you so much for bearing with me and allowing me to post later in the week. I've got some exciting things Uh, this week. It is uh, Halloween weekend coming up, so we will have a Halloween bonus podcast. I am feeling much better. Uh, As you can tell, I've got my voice back, and it's not going in and out. It might a little later (laughs) uh, as we get into this, but uh, yeah, we will have a a Halloween bonus podcast, and, and I appreciate you all listening to that as well. And, uh, oh, and before I forget, uh, like I did last time, um, but our quote of the month is attributed to Aristotle, and it is, we are what we repeatedly do, excellence then is not an act, but a habit. Okay, and, uh, oh, I do have, uh, as we get into this, I do have some really cool stories to tell you about a kitten, um, and about other things and your reminders about the Teespring store and all of that will will be coming up soon uh, But let's get into the words because I know you don't want to hear me talk about me this entire time <laughs> I know you you are here for the encyclopedia and the words that are, the entries that are in the encyclopedia And that's that's what I'm here for too. So I'm excited uh, we we do have all fifty words today and or tonight, <laughs> and um, whenever you're reading this, it could be morning, evening, you know, afternoon, uh, whatever time of day you normally listen. Um, but yeah, we have all fifty words, so I'm excited about that. So you can shout out for hooray um, for all fifty words. Now we will be in the encycl- the new Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 every single word with the exception of the fourth word or the fourth entry where we will read from both so I'll read it from the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 first and then we'll go to the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 next and just compare the two okay so last week we ended with the word agrees and oh, I'm sorry a Agrice. And today we begin with agronomy. So agronomy is uh the first word of today. And let me go over the first five words. So we have agronomy, aground, ground, comma, cavern of, aguado, comma, alejandro, maria, and gardiente, guardiente. And so without uh, making you wait any longer, (laughs) let's get into agronomy, which is a noun, and it means the science of agriculture. So if you remember, last week we had uh, the 14 pages of agriculture. So if you missed that, uh, go to last week's podcast. You can go to theoaktreejourneys.com and select Encyclopedia Challenge, and it'll go all the way down. And there'll be links there. Uh, or you can just go to the podcast link section. Uh, but if you want to know how to spell the words, uh, definitely select Encyclopedia Challenge from Okay, And so it's the science of agriculture. So now it's all coming together. Agronomist, noun, one who studies scientific farming. So if you remember, we talked about that as well last week. Agronomical pertaining to the scientific management of farms. Okay. And our second entry is aground, and it means on the ground, among seamen, stranded, run ashore. Okay. And that's pretty short. And our third entry is agtalec, or Agtalek comma, cavern of. And it is in Hungarian... Berdali, a suffocating place. So it means a suffocating place. One of the largest and most remarkable stalactite caverns of Europe, near the village of Akdalek in the county of Gomor, not far from the road from Pest to Kashu. It opens at the foot of a mountain with an entrance scarcely three scarcely three and a half feet high by five feet wide. It consists of a labyrinth of caverns communicating with one another, many of which it is difficult and even dangerous to explore when the streams that flow through them are high. Numerous stalactite structures occur in all the caverns, which from their singular shapes have given rise to the various names of the Great Church, the Mosaic Altar, the Image of the Virgin, etc. The largest and most imposing of these caverns, situated about 200 paces from the entrance, is called the Flower Garden. It is 96 feet high, 90 feet wide, and nearly 900 feet long in a straight line. Well, that sounds pretty cool. I'd want to go visit there. Okay, our fourth entry, and remember for this entry we will go to the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 after we read it from the 1909 is uh, Aguado, comma, Alexander Maria, or Alexander Maria Aguado, also Marquis de las Merismas del Guadalquivir, and he lived from 1784 to 1842, born in Seville, Spain, one of the wealthiest bankers of modern times, so I remember modern times here is in 1909. He was descended from a Jewish family, and in his youth was a soldier. During the Spanish War of Independence, he fought with distinction on the side of Joseph, rose in the French army to the rank of colonel, and acted as aide-de-camp to Marshal Salt, but retired in 1815 and began a commission business in Paris. In this, he soon realized such wealth as enabled him to found a bank. He also obtained a political reputation by negotiating the Spanish loans of 1823, 1828, and 1830, and 1831. Ferdinand Seventh conferred on him the title of Marquis de las Maris Mas del Guadalquivir. His services were also recompensed by the privileges in mining and in executing public undertakings. All the Spanish bonds issuing from his house received the name of Aguados. Okay, so let's see what the 1956 Encyclopedia Americana has to say about him, because it sounds like, uh, let's see, he had not been deceased long. So he died in 1842, and this was written in 1909. So that wasn't very long, really. Um, But a few more generations are separated here. So... Let me find him, well, okay, I should have marked him, oh, here he is, okay. Aguado Alejandro Maria, Marques de los Marismos, Los Marismos, Spanish fi- financier and millionaire, born Seville June ninth, 1784, died Jahan April fourteenth, eighteen 1842, of Jewish parentage, he early became a soldier, fighting in the war for Spanish independence. Exiled, he went to Paris in 1815, and in colonial trade and banking with Cuba and Mexico, acquired great wealth. From 1823 to 1831, he negotiated four loans, which saved Spain from bankruptcy. For these services, he was ennobled by the Seventh. So, we have a few fill-in-the-blanks there. We, all, we had more information in the 1909, which I kind of expected, but you never know uh, with these. Right. And our fifth entry before break is Agu- Aguardiente. Aguardiente, and it is a burning hot water brandy from Latin aqua water, Arden's burning, a strong raw spirit of Portugal and Spain brandy, or any particularly strong liquor. And with that, let's go to break. And welcome back. And uh, our next 10 words, Aguas Calientes, Agua, Agua or Intermittent Fever, Agua Siu, Aguinaldo comma Emilio, Ahab, Ahasuerus, a head, a height, a Medabad. And let's go to our sixth entry, which um, is Aguas Calientes. That means, or that is a well-built town in Mexico, province Zacatecas, north latitude 21 degrees 53 feet, and west longitude 101 degrees 45 feet, in a plain 6,000 feet above the sea level and on a stream of the same name which is tributary to the Rio Grande de Santiago. Besides the cultivation of fields and gardens, the manufacture of wool and cloth is very considerable and is carried on on the factory system. The town is favorably situated for trade as the great road from Mexico to Sonora and Durango is here crossed by that from San Luis Potosí to... Guadalajara. The environs abound in hot springs from which the town takes its name. So the population in 1900 was 35,042. Our seventh entry is ag- agwu, I think I said agua, but it's agwu, or agu, and that's a verb. It means to cause the shiver, or intermittent fever, preceded by a chill and followed by sweating, aguing, Agood struck with an oot, u- ague, chill, shivering, aguish, aguish, somewhat cold and shivering. Okay, and our eighth entry is ague, again, um, and it also says or intermittent fever or fever and ague. And that's just spelled really weird. <laughs> And it's a fever characterized by a chill succeeded by a sudden rise of temperature. The fever remains at a certain height for a time and then falls rapidly. The the, the fervescence, being usually attended with profuse sweating. These paroxysms re- recur with great regularity every day for every second or third day. Okay, see Malaria. So it apparently happens with malaria. Now before we get into our ninth entry, I do have a really cool story to tell you about a little kitten. Um, uh, Last week, um, my dog and I were walking along this trail during my lunch break. So I didn't have very much time. Uh, so it was during my lunch break and we just had a few minutes left. So I was at the tail end of my lunch. And on our way back... Yeah, I looked at the time and I was like, oh no, we've got to high it back. Well, as we were high it back so I could get to work on time, I heard this meow. I mean, it was not just a meow, it was a desperate cry for help. And you know you you know what that sounds like. If you've had kids or animals or pets, uh there there is a different cry when it's you know, a desperation like help me. But that's what I heard. And it was in this little patchy area of the woods. Um, On one side was a really horrible road right in the curve. And on the other side was the trail. And for some reason, it was just in this one little patch of of woods or little wild area. And so my dog and I looked around. And in order to get up there, uh, we had to go all the way down Uh, to the trail, and then go back around on the road. So we did that, and there was just desperate meowing underneath the leaves. And what had happened was the vines and thorns grew so thick and twisted around so much that when the leaves fell, it created this really crazy net. So it took a really long time to see this kitten, but we finally... Uh, were able to get it out and it was so tiny um i couldn't catch it though it was fast it was still crying couldn't catch it there were no other kittens there there was no mama cat there um so i, I hollered down to the trail and i asked for help and there were several people who just you know went along but then these two young ladies stopped and they helped me um but I couldn't really do much because I had my dog with me and she was going crazy over this kitten. And so it was scaring the little kitten even more. So I had to take her back home. So I took her back home and then I went back and they had recruited someone else to help too. So between the four of us, we finally got that kitten and one of the young ladies was finally able to snatch it. And it was so tiny, its little eyes were open, but it looked like it it hadn't been, they hadn't been open for very long at all. Um, So long story short, uh, I was late for work. Uh, I was 25 minutes late for work, actually. And then uh, the kitten has a new home. So yay, Uh, the young lady who who caught it, um, or caught him, uh, said that her mother was wanting a cat. And so it, it all worked out. Um, but I just love the camaraderie. Um, and I'm actually gonna miss that. The camaraderie of the trail that I used to live across. And uh speaking of that, I did move. I am officially in my new house. Um, I'm not unpacked. Um I've got I'm surrounded by boxes. I'm kind of half unpacked and, and half not. Um, so I am gonna miss that because the trail was just amazing. You know, we had regular walkers, regular runners, regular bikers, and uh, or cyclists, and and you knew uh, their schedules. So if you didn't see someone on at a certain time, you like, you wondered what what's going on. And in fact, that very day, that morning, a couple stopped me and said, "Hey, we hadn't seen you in a while. Are you okay?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I've just been busy." Um. Uh, but now I've moved, so, so it's not that convenient to go there. But, but yeah, I just love that, and I'm gonna miss that. But it's a good memory to have, you know. A little kitten, four of us, four strangers, um, or at least, you know, two of, two weren't strangers; they were friends. But, you know, basically, four of us were strangers to to one another. But we all got gathered together to rescue a little kitten. So I just thought thought I would share that because it's a precious memory, and uh, and I'm just glad. I'm just thankful that we were able to to take to find the little kitten. Okay, so let's let's move on to our ninth entry, uh which is a name and I don't have the full name listed on here on my sheet that I'm working with or my computer. But it's a, gay, a gayso, so Ageso, comma Henry Francois. So Henry Francois Ageso and he lived from 1668 to 1751. He was born in Limoges, a distinguished lawyer and chancellor of France, and pronounced by Voltaire to have been the most learned magistrate that France ever possessed. He received his earliest education from his father, afterward devoted himself to the study of law, became advocate general at Paris in 1690, and at the age of 32 procurer general of the parliament. In this office he effected many improvements in the laws and in the administration of justice. During the government of the Duke of Orleans he became chancellor, but in the following year fell into disgrace by opposing law system of finance and retired to his country seat at Fresnes. When however the ruin induced by law system produced a general outcry of dissatisfaction, he was of course, you guessed it, reinstated, but his well-meant efforts could not retrieve the desperate state of of affairs. He was afterwards exiled a second time in consequence of his opposing Cardinal Dubois, and though he, in 1727, obtained from Cardinal Fleury permission to return, yet he did not again resume the office of Chancellor until 1737. He resigned in 1750, His works, consisting of pleadings and speeches at the openings of the Parliament, occupy 13 volumes, Paris 1759 to 1789, and Paris 1819. So, wow. So he was exiled, and then called back, and exiled again. So, wow. (laughs) That's just crazy. And our 10th entry is another name, Aguinaldo, Emilio. Or Emilio Aguinaldo, and he was the chief of Filipino insurgents in the insurrection of 1896 and after the Spanish American War of 1898. Born in 1870 at Emis, province of Cavate, Luzon. In 1888, he went to Hong Kong, where he gained a knowledge of warfare. His general ability and Magnetic personality gave him much influence among his countrymen. When the rebellion against Spain broke out in 1896, he was at the head of the diplomatic party, to which Spain paid a large sum of money in order to induce the leaders to lay down their arms. A quarrel arose over the division of this money, and Aguinaldo went to Singapore where he met the United States consul just prior to the Spanish-American War. On the recommendation of the consul Commodore Dewey, asked to have Aguinaldo sent to him. The latter reached Cavate after the Battle of Manila Bay and was allowed to organize the Filipinos against the Spanish. On 1898, June 12th, he organized the so-called Filipino Republic, over which he placed himself as president. After the Treaty of Peace, which ceded the Philippine Islands to the United States, he organized a conspiracy among the natives to massacre all the Americans and Europeans in Manila. Wow, Manila has a... Wow. <laughs> this plot was soon discovered and frustrated, but in 1899, February 4th, his forces attacked the Americans. Shortly afterward, the rainy season set in and operations against the Filipinos had to be p- postponed. But early in 1900, the insurrection was broken up and Aguinaldo was captured in Palanon, Isabella Province, Luzon by General F- Funston, in 1901, March 23rd, on April 2nd, he took the Oath of Allegiance to the U.S. Wow. And our 11th entry is Ahab. And Ahab, uh, if you are familiar with the Bible, is from First Kings. If you're not, it's First uh, Kings 16 uh, through uh, chapter 22, verse 53. A uh, very wicked king. Um, but let's see what the 1909 a New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary has to say about him. Ahab, king of Israel from BC 918 to 897, son and successor of Omri. He married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of Sidon, through whose injurious, injurious influence the Phoenician worship of Baal was introduced. The king himself seduced to idolatry and the priests and prophets of Jehovah cruelly persecuted. Yet the prophets retained their influence over the people, and Elijah dared openly to attack the priests of Baal and reprove the wickedness of the king with the most severe threatenings of punishment. Ahab prosecuted three wars with various success against Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, but in the last campaign he was killed by an arrow. His whole family was afterwards extirpated under King Jehu. And if you want to read more about him, again, I would suggest going to 1 Kings 16 and starting there. Uh, the story about Ahab and Jezebel just absolutely... just it's a, Actually, it's a really good Halloween story um, if you want to get into a, a true story for Halloween. Okay, and next we go to um, the twelfth entry, which is also from the Bible, and this is Ahasuerus. and I remember um, whenever I was really young, my mother would read the Bible to us, and she would go, "This is how you pronounce it, Ahasuerus. Um, So that's just a little fond memory that I have. Uh, but Ahasuerus is from the Book of Esther, and the name, or rather perhaps the title by which several kings of Media and Persia are mentioned in scripture. The best known of these is Esther's husband, see Esther, probably the same as the Persian king Xerxes. And that's a fun name to say too, Xerxes. The Hebrew form of his name, Shavorch, pointing to the old Persian form of the name Xerxes. I'm going to try this. Kasichar Kese, uh, Chosun, something like that. I know I butchered it, my apologies for that. Okay, yeah, go, go to the Book of Esther for Hosserus, or King Xerxes. And some versions will call him King Xerxes. Okay, our 13th entry is ahead. So let's look ahead <laughs> to our ahead entry. In advance, Further forward than another. So pretty simple, right? Cut and dry. Our 14th entry is a height. A height. Also a high. In Old English, on high, aloft. So I, yeah, Old English. And our 15th entry before break is, uh, is a town. And I may end up butchering this. Um. But let me try it. Am- Amidabad. Amidabad. Or more properly, Amidabad. Um, Amabad. I, I, I don't know. Um. There's an A and an E difference. Um, but anyway, it's the chief town in the district of the same name in the presidency of Bombay is on the left bank of the Sabarmati, which flows nearly due south into the Gulf of Cambay, and was built 1412 by Ahmed or Ahmed Shah, and underwent all the vicissitudes of government incident to the cities of Hindustan till the year 1818, when it finally came under the power of the British. It was formerly one of the largest and most magnificent capitals in the East, in the opinion of a native writer, quote, The handsomest city in Hindustan, Perhaps, in the world, end quote, I'll not have to argue uh, with that, I think where I live is quite gorgeous. Its agricultural relics are gorgeous, even in the midst of decay. The Jumna or Ha Masjid or Great Mosque rises from the center of the city, adorned by two superbly decorated minarets, each of which contains a circular flight of steps leading to a gallery near the summit. Its domes are supported by lofty columns regularly disposed the concave of these cupolas is richly ornamented with a mosaic and fretwork the pavement is tri- the pavement is of the finest marble the mosque of sujat khan is extremely elegant there is likewise an ivory mosque which has obtained that name from the circumstance that although built of white marble it is curiously lined with ivory and inlaid with a profusion of gems to imitate natural flowers, bordered by silver foliage on Mother of Pearl. There are also the Fire Temple and the Tower of Silence of the Parsis. It once abounded in gardens, aqueducts, reservoirs, etc., but these, especially the gardens, are now sadly defaced and injured. Its prosperity has been almost wholly destroyed by the rapacity of the Maratas. Although at one time it was famous for its manufacture of rich fabrics of silk and cotton, articles of gold, silver, steel, and enamel, it employed many artists in portrait painting and miniatures and had extensive trade in indigo, cotton, and opium. The old city walls, built in 1485, which had in the course of ages and through the assaults of enemies become very dilapidated, were repaired in 1834 at the expense of 250,000 ru- rupees. Water was also conveyed from the river through the city by means of pipes. Okay. So population in 1901 is 185,889. The district of Ahmedabad in Gujarat has an area of 3,800 square miles and a population of 800,000. I'm sorry, 830,000. Okay, and with that let's go to break. <music> and welcome back. Our next ten words are Abaduger, Abaduger or Edur Am Depur, Ahoy, Aramon, A Hole, Akmetal, Aid, Aiden Comma Saint, Aid De Camp. And let's go ahead and begin with our 16th entry. And, I uh, uh, pronounced that wrong. Uh, it's Ahmed Nuger. So Ahmed Nuger And if you want to know how to spell these, just go to theoaktreejourneys.com and select Encyclopedia Challenge. The link will also be in the description. Okay. And uh, it's an important town in the presidency of Bombay. 122 miles east of the city of Bombay. It was founded in 1494 by Ahmed Nizam Shah. During the reign of his son, Borhan Nizam Shah, it had high prosperity, but after his death, it witnessed an incessant series of wars, confusions, and murders. In 1797, it fell into the hands of the Marathas, and in 1803 was surrendered, after a trivial resistance of two days, to General Wellesley. It was, however, shortly afterwards restored to the Pishwa, but in 1817 the fort was again occupied by the British. The town has increased rapidly since it came under British protection and rule. It possesses a most singular defense in addition to its wall. This consists of an immense prickly pear hedge about 20 feet high, which is so full of sap that no fire will kindle it, and so vigorous that it is almost impossible to force one's way through it. It contains an English church and a Durham sala or place of entertainment for travelers, capable of holding 250 persons. It also possesses a good supply of water by means of aqueducts. There are several places of the same name in Hindustan, the population, remember this is 1909, was 35,000. Area of the di- district uh, was 6,650 square miles. Population, 775,000. Okay, and our 17th entry um, is spelled the same way as our 16th entry. However, it, it has, uh, it says it's also called Edor, So it's Ahmed. Nugar, or Idar, and that's a Rajput state of Gujarat in the Mahi Kanta Agency, politically connected with the Presidency of Bombay. It is under the rule of the Rajah of Idar, subject to British sovereignty. Popula- population estimated over two hundred seventeen thousand. The principal town is. Ahmed Nugur in the banks of the Hot Mati, a branch of the Sab- Saber Mati, in an extensive plain 92 miles north-northwest from Barado, surrounded by a fine old stone wall. Population was only 9,000. Okay. And our 18th entry is Ahmed so Ahmedpur that is a town of India in the native state of Bo let's see <laughs> Bo- twenty five miles southwest from Ba Bo- <laughs> Bo- The houses are mostly built of mud, but there is a large and lofty mosque with four tall minarets. There are manufacturers of matchlocks, gunpowder, cotton and silk population estimated 30,000 though other estimates make it much less. Okay, and our 19th entry is ahoy. So ahoy matey. <laughs> so ahoy an exclamation used so let me say that again. Ahoy. There we go. An exclamation used in hailing a boat, attend ye, a sailor's call, a call to a person. Okay. And our 20th entry is Araman or Ara Araman, and that is in the le- later dualistic doctrine of the followers of Zoroaster, the personification of malignity, the original source of all moral and physical evil, the chief of the devils and malignant spirits, the king of darkness and of death, the eternal enemy and opponent of Ormuzd and of his kingdom of light. See. Zoraster. And our next entry, which I'm making, okay, our 21st entry is a hole, or a hole. Not a hoy, but a hole. A maritime term used to denote the position of a ship when all her sails are furled, and her helm lashed on the lee side in such a position she lies nearly with her Side to the wind, but with the head turned a little towards the direction of the wind. Nautical language comprises a large number of words formed on a principle similar to that of a head, and with the vowel a, a corruption of the Anglo Saxon preposition on, meaning on, in, at, prefixed to a noun. Such are the following aback, abaft, aboard, abreast, a cockbill, aloof, a main, amidships, an end, a speak, a shore, a stern, a trip, a vast, a weather, away. See the articles under some of these titles. Okay. And our 22nd entry, which is a little longer than the actual entry, so the word's a little longer than the entry, or it seems that way, is Ockmetal. Aukmetal. And that is an alloy of copper and zinc with the small addition of iron, sometimes used in the manufacture of cannon. Okay, and our 23rd entry is aid. And that's a noun. It means help, relief, assistance, a person who gives help, verb, to help, to support, to relieve, aiding, aided, aider, noun, one who, aids old english helping helpful oh that's cool so aident is old english for helping or helpful aidance noun help assistance aidful giving help aidless destitute of help synonym of aid verb to help assist succor relieve sustain support okay and our 24th entry is aidan comma saint or saint aidan Middle of 17th century, one of those distinguished monks of the early Scotto Irish church who were received into the calendar of saints by a sort of acclamation and without the ceremony of canonization. He was the first efficient missionary who propagated Christianity in the north of England. Oswald, the celebrated king of Northumbria, requested the community of Iona to send to his court one of their brethren who would teach the Christian religion to his people. As the history has come down to us, the first person sent was a certain Cormac, who was too dogmatic and intolerant to be a successful missionary. On on his returning after a failure, Aidan, who possessed the patience, geniality, and popular manners, fitted for the task, was successful. He left a great reputation, and as the earliest promulgator, Promulgator of Christianity in the northern districts is generally counted the first in the lists of the bishops of Durham. So that's cool. Okay, and our 25th entry is Aide de Camp. So Aide de Camp. And this is actually has me pronouncing it as Aide de Kong. So Aide de Kong, I'm not sure why, but it it, it looks like Aide de Camp or de Camp, like the plain. So, aide de cong, plural, aides de cong, aid and assistant, de camp of camp. In an army, an officer who serves on the personal staff of a general or in court to wait upon the sovereign. As a military officer, he may be regarded as a kind of superior confidential attendant upon a general in active service. The aide de cong is the organ of the general. He carries all the orders on the field of battle. These he is to deliver in the plainest terms so as to be distinctly understood. And when so understood, the orders are to be as implicitly obeyed as if the general himself were present and speaking. An aide de Cong also acts as secretary to the general and assists him in his correspondence when he has not specifically a military secretary when he has not specifically a military secretary. He aids likewise in dispensing the courtesies of the general's house or tent. The aides-de-cong in the U.S. Army vary in number from two for a brigade general to six for a general. In England, besides these aides-de-cong to generals, the Queen has power to appoint any number of aides-de-cong to herself in her capacity of nominal head of the army. There are no particular duties attached to the office, but it is much sought after both as an honor and as conferring on the holder the rank of colonel in the army. King Edward has about 40 military aides de Kong, of whom a certain proportion are peers of the realm. In addition, there are a certain number of naval aides de Kong to the king. I wonder if uh, that still holds true today and how many Queen Elizabeth has if it does. Okay, and with that, let's go to break. Welcome back. During break, I double-checked to uh, to see which episode this was because it felt like it was like episode 37 or 38, but I'm getting ahead of myself. It's actually episode 36, which I did have written down, but it just absolutely looked wrong. Uh, But yeah, that's what I was doing during break. But uh, let's go over the next 10 words, and the first one is actually a phrase, and... Let me make sure. <laughs> I practiced it two or three times. I promised, uh, but it's in another language. So let's see if I can get this semi right. Aide trois et la c si de to adra. Okay, and I won't tell you what that means yet. Um, then we have Aiden or Guzel Hissar, Don aids, aid of the king, Agri, Agrit, Agreti. Aguas mortis and aguil. and I probably butchered over half of those but we'll we'll take a look at them okay, so uh word twenty six or entry twenty six for season one episode thirty six <laughs> is aid or yeah a to a la c si, to adra and that means Help yourself and heaven will help you. And as I was going over this list today, that just reminds me of what I heard growing up. And I I hate it. I hate this. uh, I don't really like this one either. Help yourself and heaven will help you. It sounds a lot like God helps those who help themselves. Um, So if you like it, that's cool. If you like that phrase, I, I think there's a lot wrong with it. Um, I understand why we have it, because, you know, we don't want to just sit there and give up on life or or anything. Um, but anyway, that's not really a phrase I like. But let's take a look to see what uh, this encyclopedia has to say about that phrase, help yourself and heaven will help you. A moral aphor- aphorism, the cry of certain French political writers to the middle classes about 1824... And became the watchword of a society formed to agitate. V- see, see, it's not really a good, a good phrase, is it? Uh, and it was used to agitate voters in opposition to the government by means strictly legitimate. Most of its founders and active members belonged to the party of doctrinaria, as Guzot, who was president for some time, Duchatel du. Duver- Vergier de Huron, Dubois, Remessat, Thiers, Cavnac, etc. Le Globe newspaper was the organ of the association and afterwards La Nationale. It had a great share in bringing about the revolution in 1830, July, and was at first countenanced by the new government, but was dissolved in 1832. Okay. Well, they may have been dissolved, but the phrasing did change. And uh, let's look at Entry 27, which is Aden, um, or Guzel Hisar, and that is a town of Asiatic Turkey on the river Meander in the Apocalypse of Anatolia, built out of the ruins of the ancient trolleys, which was on a plateau above the present town. It is 60 miles southeast of Smyrna, is 4 miles in circuit, and carries on a trade next in importance to that of Smyrna. It is adorned, like all the eastern cities, with numerous mosques and other religious edifices, and has a picturesque appearance. Population estimated 35,000 to 60,000 with 6,000 houses. And our 28th entry is Idona. I knew I pronounced that wrong. Uh, so Idona, town of Sicily, province of Caltanissetta, twenty miles east by south from Caltanissetta. It crowns a lofty height, commanding a view of the great plain of Catania. It was one of the settlements of the Lombards who accompanied Roger the Norman in his conquest of Sicily. The road which leads to the town is very rugged, bordered by luxuriant prickly pears. Population 6,920. And Our 29th entry is AIDS and that is not what you think it is in 1909. Uh, In feudal times, mere benevolence is granted by a tenant to his lord in distress, which gradually came to the to be regarded as matters of right. Aids were demanded for three principal objects. First, to ransom the person of the Lord when taken prisoner. Second, to make his eldest son a knight. And third, to provide a suitable portion of his eldest daughter on her marriage. These aids were abolished by 12... Uh, it says C-A-R-2-C-24. set I'm not sure what, what that is. And... Our 30th entry is aid of the king. So, aid of the king is where the king's tenants pray aid of the king on account of rent demanded of them by others. In such cases, the proceedings are stopped to the king's or queen's council are heard to say what they think fit for avoiding the king's prejudice. And 31 is agar, and it just says C eager. Okay, and... Our 32nd entry is a grit. So a grit, also a grit, noun. The little white heron. In botany, the feathery down of the thistle. And 33 is a grit again, but it's spelled differently. So, again, for the spelling of these, go to theoaktreejourneys.com and select Encyclopedia Challenge or click the link in the description and that is a French word denoting the down or plume, botanically, popous attached to many vegetable seeds as the thistle and dandelion. It is also used in reference to the feathery tuft on the heads of several birds as the heron, and in English zoology, the name agrit or egret is applied to the smaller white heron, an elegant bird with a white body and a feathery crest. Hence, the term hagret came Egret, came to designate the long, delicate white feathers stuck upright in a lady's headdress. Recently, the usage has been still further extended to any headdress resembling a plume, even a bouquet of flowers fastened, fastened with precious stones. So there we go, we got a little bit of fashion, too. Okay, and our 34th entry is Ogmortz. So, a- a- Agmort. So, Aquamorta, small town in France, population about 4,000 in the Department of Gard, which claims to have been founded by the Roman Marius. Sorry, it's a little... It's not just faded, it's like rubbed off faded. It is in an extensive marsh impregnated with sea salt and is about three miles from the Mediterranean with which it is connected by a canal. It was from Agmart that St. Louis sailed in 1248 and again in 1270 for the Crusades, a proof that the sea then reached this spot. In 1538, Francis I had an interview at Augmort with Charles V. And our 35th entry is Aguel or Aguil, which is a noun, and that means applied to the sharp, serrated peaks of lofty mountains, An industry for piercing holes for the lodgement of powder when blasting. Agulet, or aglet, noun, a point or tag on fringes. And with that, let's go to break. And welcome back. And I just wanted to remind everyone about uh, my Teespring store. Uh, NaNoWriMo is coming up in just a few days. I am going to be participating this year. And uh, if you want a little extra uh, gift, or if you want something for Christmas uh, to show, hey, I read encyclopedias, uh, go to the-oak-tree-journeys.creator-spring.com, or just click the link in the, in the description. There is a fifteen percent off code, and that's eChallenge, and the offer expires December first, twenty twenty one. So these are pretty cool objects. Um, you've got shirts, uh, got cups, uh, stickers. So yeah, head on over there and uh, get get yourself an, a reward for listening to the Encyclopedia Challenge, uh, or a reward for writing for NaNoWriMo or just uh, something for your friend or family member for Christmas. So uh, just head on over there. And uh, they're pretty cool. Gotta say, Teespring uh, does a really good job on their products. Okay, and uh, let's uh, go over the next ten words. We have uh, I lost my place. <laughs> I- a A Gillette, so A. Gillette, then Aiken, wait, am I, okay, so A. Gillette, okay, I, I just see what I did, um, yeah, if you're wondering why I'm pausing, I'm like, wait a minute, so I missed one during my, uh, Whenever I was typing this out. So we are going to have 51 words. Well, no, we'll, we'll stick with 50. So we have a And then we also have Agilet, <laughs> which is spelled completely differently. Aiken, L Alantis Alantis Alet. Hilaris Fulgen, fulgens, aim, aimen, and ain. So let me just fix my little sheet here. Okay, so those are our next ten words. Okay, and here we go. Let's start with the one that, that had me scratching my head. <laughs> a. Gillette, a part of the decorations of military dress in Britain, formerly worn on the right shoulder by general officers of various grades, now worn chiefly by officers of the Life Guards and the horse guards. It is composed of gold or silver cords and loops. Okay, and our 37th entry is A. Gillette, spelled differently a rope called a lashing rope used in ships of war for securing the breaching of a gun. And our 38th entry is Aiken, and that's a town, county seat of Aiken County, South Carolina, 17 miles northeast of Augusta, Georgia, 120 miles northwest from Charleston, South Carolina. It is laid out with care and taste, has excellent hotels and boarding houses, And its salubrious climate makes it a favorite winter resort for invalids, especially sufferers from lung disorders. Aiken has seven churches, a public hall, and several schools. Population in 1890 was 2,362. And the population in 1900 was 3,414. And our... Thirty-ninth, let me fix this, our thirty-ninth entry is L. Okay, and that's L. And it's a verb, to be sick, to trouble, to be in pain, ailing, unwell, full of sickness, ailed, ailment, noun, sickness, trouble, slight disease. Okay, our 40 Okay, yeah, our 40th word, or entry, is alantis So, alantis noun, often improperly, Aelanthus, genus of trees of national order, Simurabaki, the common species, A. Glendolusi, lusa, or Chinese sumac. It has very, okay, has very long and pinnate leaves within odd leaflet resembling the ash. The leaves are food for a species of silkworm. The styles are combined at the base. The fruit consists of 3-5 to samari or winged acnea. Its growth is rapid and its propagation is usually by its abundant root suckers. It is largely planted for shade in South Europe and in parts of the United States and is common in England. It is hardy and thrives even in poor soils. Its timber is viable for some uses. As the odor of the flowers of male trees is offensive, only female trees which have indorous flowers should be grown. So, it's a stern warning there. Don't grow the males, just grow the females. Now it's got me curious about how it smells. Okay, so, quickly... Fix the numbering on this so I wouldn't stumble over the numbers. Um, I stumble over the words. That's bad enough. Okay. So our next entry, our 41st entry, is Ailette. Ailette. And it's French for little wings. And it means appendages to the armor worn by knights in the 13th century of leather covered with cloth and worn behind or at the side of the shoulders. Aelid are figured on many effigies, etc. Well, that's pretty cool. need to remember that for when I'm writing fantasy books. And our 42nd entry is Alaris Fulgens, and it just says, See Panda, so it sounds like it's some sort of panda. Our 43rd entry is AIM, and for such a small word, a three-letter word, it has a fairly large definition. And it is a verb. It means to throw at an object, to direct a weapon to, to try to strike with a missive weapon, to endeavor, to purpose or design, in Old English, to guess or conjecture. Noun, the object or point intended to be struck, purpose, intention, aiming, aimed, aimless, without aim or purpose, aimlessly, synonym of aim, noun, object, end, view, scope, design, purpose, scheme, drift, intention, of aim, the verb, to point, level, aspire, direct. And our next word is amen, and it just says see amen. So this Amen is A-I, and the Amen they want us to refer to is A-Y, so we won't be there for quite a while. And our 45th entry is ain. or AN, it's N, it's N, it's spelled like ain, like aim, with an M, but this is N as in Nancy, that's N a frontier department of France, bounded on the north by the departments of Jura and Sion et loire At the east, it is separated from Switzerland and Savoy by the Rhone, Rhône, which also divides it from Issyre on the south, while on the west, the Sion separates it from the departments of the Rhone and Sion et loire This department contains five arrondissements, Borge, Belly, Jex, Nantau, Trevaux, or 35 cantons. Area 2,230 square miles. Population 350,416. Chief town, Borge. All right, and with that, let's go to break. And welcome back. And during break, I was actually fixing the rest of the numbers for the last five words. And I'm actually excited uh, because we are going to end on a really cool word, as you could probably see from the uh, the uh, description of what this is, the Season 1, Episode 36, and it tells you the words uh, that we start with and the word that we end with. Um, that's really exciting. Um, so our list of five words are Anum, so Anum, and then we have Ann Mueller, comma Maximilian Emmanuel, or Maximilian Emanuel and Ein Müller. And then we have Inos, or Inos, and then we have Ainsworth, comma William Harrison, and then our very last word is ain't, ain't it grand? Uh, <laughs> I'm actually very glad that we are ending with the word ain't. That's very exciting. Um, But before I start the next five entries, I just wanted to say if you are uh, going to participate in NaNoWriMo this year, uh, good luck to you. Uh, I'm very excited for you, and I hope you get all 50,000 words in. Uh, If you're not a writer and you you are uh, more of a reader, or even uh, just a scholar or someone who likes to dabble in in words and stuff, I hope you have a wonderful November as well. Um, Those of us who are writing 50,000 words, uh, good luck to all of us. And uh, good luck if you live with someone like that, good luck to you too, because we are hard to live with. Um, Okay, so let's go on to our 46th entry. And that is Anum, and that means an infection. An affection, I was about to say infection, but it's not an infection, it's affection. So it's an affection marked by the appearance of a furrow encircling one of the toes, and a gradual deepening of this furrow as if it were due to the tightening of a cord, resulting finally in spontaneous amputation of the part. Ooh, ooh, so I guess infection really wasn't that far off. Ugh. It was thought to... to affect only the peoples of Brazil, among whom it was first noticed, but it has since been found in nearly all the tropical and subtropical regions of the globe. The constriction usually affects affects the little toe first and may be confined to this digit, but sometimes one after another all the toes of one or both feet may undergo spontaneous amputation. It is not known what causes causes it nor what the nature of the process is. That sounds horrible. um. And if you all want a bonus podcast later uh, with that, let me know. That's, I'm about tempted to go online and look that up to find out more information on it. But I, I won't. I won't because we have four more entries to go. And if you're curious about it, feel free to uh, to let us know uh you can write me mandy oaks at protonmail dot com or go to the dot com forward slash contact and uh yeah just uh, let us know if you know what that is because as of nineteen o nine they had no idea what the cause was or what it even was and our forty seventh entry is a name ein mueller comma maximilian emmanuel or maximilian Maximilian Emanuel Einmuller, and he lived from 1807 to 1870. He was born in Munich, and he was a restorer of the art of painting on glass. He began the study of architecture, but afterwards entered the royal porcelain Manufactory as decorator, and there he first overcame the technical difficulties in glass painting. A separate institution was established for the art Oh. So he liked it so much that they had to, or, or it sounds like he was so good at it, they had to do a completely separate uh, institution for it. Uh, he brought its work near to perfection. He first is said to. He first is said to have conceived the idea of laying colored glass on colored instead of on white. He was also the first, in conjunction with Wor- Worstifer, to execute pictures on glass and thus revive the art of miniature glass painting. The first work of the new institution was the restoration of the windows of the Cathedral of Radisson, from 1826 to 1833, to which he contributed the ornamentation, painting several of the figures. He made a like contribution to the splendid windows of the Church of Maria Hilf, Munich, 1833 to 1838. In the contribution of King Ludwig of Bavaria to the Cathedral of Cologne and the numerous sorry, and the numerous other windows executed at Munich for all parts of the world, he displayed the highest artistic faculty, one of his most important and successful undertakings was providing the fine windows of the Glasgow Cathedral, including more than one hundred biblical and historical pictures. I think uh, I vaguely recall his name. Um, from studies in uh, humanities. Vaguely, vaguely recall. And our 48th entry is Inos. And that is a race inhabiting Yeso and in Sakhalin. See also Japan. So we have to wait to get to Japan to find out more. Okay, and our 40 49th entry is another name, Ainsworth, William Harrison, or William Harrison Ainsworth. Born 1805, died 1882, born in Manchester, England, where his father was a solicitor, well-known writer of fiction. Oh, cool. His creative fancy began early to show itself in ballads and tales, in the local newspapers, and in contributions to the London magazine and similar periodicals. He entered a writer's office, but forsook law for literature and began a publishing business in London, which, however, he soon gave up in disappointment. He had previously published his first novel, Sir John chiverton 1825. After spending some time on the continent, he returned to England and wrote Rook- Rookwood, 1834, which was favorably received. It was followed by, Crichton, 1837, and Jack Shepherd, 1839. He edited for a time Bentley's Miscellany, and in 1842 began his own Ainsworth magazine. He published The Len- L- Lancashire Witches in 1848. Six years later appeared The Star Chamber in 1860. Ovingdean Grange, The Lord Mayor of London, was published in 1862. Cardinal Pole, 1863. Wow, he was busy and John Law, the Projector, 1864. More recent are the Spanish Pompret, Mary England, the Leaguer of Latham, 1876, and Stanley, Stanley Brereton, 1881. Wow, that is some cool writing there. I've never heard of him, um, but if you have... If you've read any of his books, let us know. Uh, go to Mandy Oaks at protonmail dot com and send me a line, or uh, the uh, the um, the OakTreeJourneys dot com and select contact and send me a line there. Uh, I'd like to know if you've ever uh, read any of his works. Um, and speaking of of reading, um, I have not finished Adam Homo. In fact, if you recall, about a month or so ago. I said I, I finally got it. It was hard to find, um but I finally finally received it and I read the first few pages um and then I just got so busy I wasn't able to re- pick it up again. It's a fairly l- lengthy book, um, but I did read The Great Gatsby for uh, the Reading Club, and uh no comment on that. <laughs> Uh, No no comment on that. I may have already commented on it earlier. If I did, uh, that's great. Um, If I didn't, we'll just leave it at that. So, but but no comment at all on that. Right. And uh, without making you wait any longer, let's look at the fiftieth and last entry of today, and that is ain't. Ain't. And this is, remember, this is from 1909, the New Imperial Encyclopedia Dictionary. So early 1900s. So if your teacher ever told you, like they told me, ain't, ain't a word, it's not even in the dictionary. And I think it did recently come up in the dictionary. But it was, it was in an encyclopedia dictionary of 1909. So we were deceived and they were probably deceived as well. But let's take a look at it. A colloquial contraction for am not, improper contraction for is not, aren't, so a, r, apostrophe, n, apostrophe, t, colloquial for are not. So it may be improper, but it was still there and it was still being used. So whenever you use the word ain't, Remember you are using a word that was improper English from way back a long time ago. I just I just thought that was funny and interesting because all the teachers would just go crazy in my school if you used the word ain't. And I and I admit whenever someone says ain't um it doesn't sound that great. <laughs> uh, even in uh I was re- rewatching a few episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and uh Riley uses the word ain't a few times and it just does not seem to match his character Uh, and it just doesn't hit my my ear right whenever he says it um i may be the only one in that i don't know but uh yeah ain't is a word uh, and it has been a word for quite some time it's just improper english so there we go (laughs) i thought you might find that interesting and uh, if you have an interesting word uh, that you that we talked about um let us know you know let me know i, I love hearing from you and uh you know maybe i'll i'll uh, give you a shout out on my next podcast um and if there's a word that we haven't gone over yet uh, just let us know or if you want a bonus podcast with a, a different word or a deeper dive into a word you'll let me know go to uh, write to Mandy Oaks at protonmail.com or go to uh, theoaktreejourneys.com and select contact and let me know. And uh, before we go, uh, let me just remind you of our monthly quote uh, attributed to Aristotle, which we found out that Aristotle did not actually say it, but it's attributed to him. We are what we re- we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. So if you repeatedly listen to the Encyclopedia Challenge, you are practicing excellence. So there you go. And don't forget to pick up your merchandise at the Teespring store. Uh, The link is in the description, so just click on that. And don't forget you do get 15% off of your Teespring purchase by using eChallenge. And that does expire December 1st. Again, that will be in the description as well. And again, thank you so much uh, to all my listeners um, from Australia, from the U.S., and uh, from other parts of the world. Uh, Thank you so much for sticking with me. And uh, especially whenever I stumble over words, I highly appreciate you. And uh, also, thank you for your patience uh, with yesterday. Well, actually... Now it's Tuesday. <laughs> I'm I wanted to uh, publish this uh, Monday, but we're getting into Tuesday morning now. So good morning <laughs> from from the East Coast. But thank you again, and I hope you all have a blessed week. And don't forget the Halloween bonus is coming up this week as well. So just have a blessed week, and until next time, I bid you adieu.